The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Well, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at University Presbyterian Church and stoked that you have made it out tonight, that uh, you got 2009 started off by uh, spending your, it's the, the first Tuesday here at the Inn. Um, thank you for coming, especially to those of you that might be new, that are here for the very first time. Uh, I know that uh, Liz and Nolan threw a lot at you in that, that open, lots of things to talk about. To find more information about any of the things that they talked about, uh, the tables on the side of the inn afterwards are there to, uh, to give you the information that you need. I want to highlight a couple things and just let you know, Winter Retreat is a blast. It really is our big community gathering that we do during the year. And if this is a place that that you've been connected to, but you want you want to know more people, you want to make some connections, Winter Retreat is one of the best ways uh, to take that, that first step. We're also doing a baptism like we talked about last last quarter. And if you've never been baptized and are ready to, to have that sign and seal uh, upon you, uh, this is, a, again, a great and very memorable opportunity to do that. And, and Or perhaps you've been baptized and you just want to affirm that baptism. We don't re-baptize here at UPC, but uh, maybe you were baptized as a baby and this is a chance for you to affirm that. We can do that um, as well. So that's when a retreat. A couple of mission opportunities you heard about. You've got that application uh, through the door that says world deputation. One real quick clarification that by filling that out, you are not committing to anything other than getting more information. So if you are even this curious about going someplace uh, this summer with a team of people to experience something uh, authentic like Kelly shared about in that, in that journal entry that she shared in, in The Witness. Wow! So many of us are craving that authenticity in our faith. And I've found that when we step out in experiences like this, or per, like World Deputation, two months in the summer, or even our spring break trip to the DR, there's an opportunity to have that authentic encounter with the living God that we, we so often crave. Only a, a handful of spots left uh, for the Dominican Republic trip, especially guys, if you have any background as a catcher, we need you uh, because we're going to be playing, uh, we'll probably play five or six baseball games down there and these Dominicans that we play are legit. And if, if we don't have somebody that can throw down to second, we're going to have a hard time. So, baseball players, if you know a baseball player, hook us up, please. And then lastly, uh, you heard about the apologetics class. Is Dwayne here right now? Dwayne, he's usually over there. Dwayne, he's right back there. Dwayne, Dwayne Morris, great guy. Yeah, you can give it up for Dwayne. He, um, I, again, I want to emphasize that if you find yourself at the beginning of 2009 going, man, I really want to explore uh, my faith more and some of these big questions that, that constantly... Uh, revolve around my head and perhaps weigh you down, uh, I encourage you to investigate the apologetic class because it's a great opportunity to really dive in in a meaningful way. And Dwayne is so good at, at leading um, those dialogues. 
All right, enough on the announcements. Happy New Year. As you shared your resolutions, I certainly hope that one of your resolutions is to come to the inn every week. I think that'd be a good one to, uh, to have. I felt like as 2008 closed, as I was watching the TV, all the, all the recaps of the year, you know, uh, they seem, there seemed to be such a, a downer. You know, it's all about, oh, you know, the economy. We're, this is a repeat of the Great Depression. Every, everything seemed to be on a down note. And I couldn't help uh, but watch that and, and, and empathize because for me, probably the biggest downer was, was the Seattle sports scene. And I, I, I stand in solidarity with many of you guys on, on lamenting, lamenting that for sure. But otherwise, for me, 2008 was an absolutely banner year. I became a father in September. I got my, my dream job uh, here, and I got a new boss. These are big, big life events, really. So when, when I say, uh, you know, I, I like to, I'd love to say that my philosophy is more, hey, it's not a new year, it's a new day. And I'm not going to be sucked into those types of things. But every year, I make New Year's resolutions, for sure. In the past, I have made resolutions that range from, I wanted to, to eat more healthy. I was fired up, ready to do this. And so at 2 a.m., I went to the grocery store. I bought all this stuff because I was going to start packing my lunch and I wasn't going to have Big Macs and fries as much as I did. And I cut this fruit up because, hey, if maybe if I, if I cut it up and it's ready to go, I, I, I'll, I'll actually do it. So I, I cut this fruit up, I put it in the freezer, and I think it stayed there the whole year. Okay. I, I've been talking with some others around the UMIN office on what some of their resolutions uh, were. Uh, one person, their resolution is to, is to uh, floss their teeth more, to be more consistent. Uh, that's a good one. Dental health is a good thing. I, I asked an, another guy, uh, I said, you know, hey, you know what, what, are your, what are you doing? You seem to be working out a lot. What's, he's like, well, let me tell you this, Ryan. He goes, what I'm going for is, is, is this. Uh, being able to look good in my jeans without a shirt, you know. And he explains it, he, he explains it, looking good in my jeans without a shirt, without a shirt, colon, Sawyer from Lost. Like, okay. That's, yeah. My, my New Year, that was not me, if you were wondering. Uh, my New Year's resolution is simply to start exercising again, like many of you. This is usually a year when the IMA is a little bit more full than it usually is, for sure. But I want to start exercising again, and I blame my lack of exercise on the aforementioned blessings of 2008. Uh, exercise, uh, uh, a little uh, three-month-old isn't super conducive to consistent exercise all the time. Um, not so that I can look like Sawyer or, you know, look good in a Speedo in the hot tub after skiing, whatever. Uh, I, no, I, I don't do that, but I know people that do. I don't wear a Speedo in a hot tub. Um, I want to get back to exercising because I just feel sharper in everything when I'm active. In fact, one of the ways that I experience the presence of God most is when is when I'm exercising, when I'm, when I'm uh, appropriately active. So I want to I wanna get back into it. But what resolution did you make? What resolution did you make? Be honest with yourself for a second. Maybe that should be the resolution. So, hey, I'm going to be honest with myself. Is your re- the resolution that you were thinking about, is it to help you win? Is it to look a certain way? 
Is it to win approval in the eyes of others? Is it to, to win approval in the eyes of yourself? And I bring up these, these severe questions and perhaps make a big deal about it because I think we often buy into the, the sense of I have to be growing, I have to be at the top of my game in order to be good enough, accepted, or even in our faith, truly spiritual. We have to somehow earn it. And January 1 often feels like a great time to hit the reset button on everything, but primarily ourselves and all of our inadequacies and all the ways that, that we can be dissatisfied with ourselves, trying to, to somehow win something that's out there. Now, perhaps you're, you're out there thinking, Ryan, you're making this sound like a bigger deal than I think it really is. Why is this a big deal? I think it's a big deal because most of us fail miserably at our resolutions. A 2005 study shows that around 60% of you actually make New Year's resolutions. um, And many of you make more than one New Year's resolution. It is usually something to do related to your wallet. You're trying to pay down some debt or save a little bit of money, be a little bit more conscious about it. Or your waistline, trying to to shed a few pounds maybe. Uh, Maybe the guys are trying to bulk up a little bit. Um, it could have something to do with your head. There's a lot of, of self-improvement. I want to I read more. I'm going to read the paper more. I'm going to actually do the reading for my class. Uh, those, those, are, those are are the type of, of head resolutions we make. Or your heart. And by that, uh, we're not talking about my whole eating fewer Big Macs as much as we're talking about romance. You want to date a little bit more. You want to find a partner. You want to get married. Something like that. Uh, that's, that's 31% of you. Okay, so, of, of the people that made resolutions, and the statistics say somewhere around 60% of you probably did, most making more than one, as of right now, 75% of you are doing pretty good. You're still on board with what, with what you said you were gonna do. Okay? <laughs> next week, next week you're still gonna be doing pretty good, statistically speaking. It only drops off 4% from this week to next week, but then, that's the big one. Between weeks two and three, um, as, as you're looking at that first midterm, as things start to get a little bit crazy, maybe you stop coming to the end. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's, a big, there's a big drop off there. 20%. By six weeks, only 31% of the people that, that made those resolutions are actually sticking, sticking to them. But then I thought this was actually pretty interesting, if not a bit encouraging, that if you can get to that point, odds are, odds are much better that even by, by June, you're still going to be living into that resolution. I've heard that the, the magic number is 21, 21 days to make something a habit, right? But the bottom line is that in all of these things, there, there's a huge rate of failure, that we can make these things in order to do something good, but we end up failing. Now, perhaps the thought is, Ryan, isn't part of Jesus' work in the world intended to make all things new? And isn't, isn't January 1 a great opportunity to live into that? And, and to some degree it is. But too often, friends, what we do in these resolutions is, is take this good thing and we make it too much about ourselves. And I think that that has an impact on how we can live 
the faith. It turns into a self-imposed legalism that does a little more than make us a failure again. We hate legalism, right? But then we have these self-imposed legalisms, and that's what resolutions can often turn into. The Apostle Paul's challenge and encouragement to us in the book of Galatians is simply that the resolution is Jesus. No more, no less. Jesus, no more, no less. So we are going to spend the first six weeks of this quarter wrestling with this whole idea of Jesus and nothing else. And and what does it look like to develop a faith that goes away from works and more towards faith in a gracious and loving God that focuses on Jesus and not our success or our failure or our appearances or any of the ways that we can become addicted to ourselves and the way we do things. Friends, Jesus alone does the saving and the rescuing and that is good news, that there is nothing that we can do to make him love us any more or any less. So we can have resolutions. We can have resolutions, but we, I want us to, to try and get away from the success or failure of those resolutions having any kind of major impact on who we are in Christ. Before we take a look at the text in Galatians, let me pray for us. Lord, it is so difficult for us to receive the grace that you offer to us. And, and Lord, as we come to your word tonight, we ask that by your spirit you might help us receive what receive that grace all the more and receive your word through the Apostle Paul to us, even tonight. Lord, have your way in us and in this room, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, here, we, here are these words as we start the new year from Galatians chapter 1. It says this, Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. So a real man writing a real letter to a real church in history. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then the tone changes. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, big warning here, Let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching you to a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's the way Paul starts this letter to these churches in Galatia. So what's going on here? What is Paul speaking into? What's going on out there? He's a bit discouraged 
because there is a group of formerly Jewish folks that are now Christians and they are affirming Jesus and they are affirming uh, this, this gospel that they have accepted of we are saved by grace through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Okay, They seem to be on board with that, but they're making a group of rules taken from their previous experience that communicates it's not just Jesus, but Jesus and a resolution. Jesus in some sort of of add-on. And, and in this case, as we'll see in subsequent weeks, the ritual of circumcision is particularly being highlighted. These Judaizers, as they were called, have changed the message of Christ by saying that the good news is Jesus and other stuff. It is a message, this message that Paul is writing is a message to a group of churches that is saying that anytime we put the other stuff on it, it is not good news whatsoever because the good news is that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here's what we need to understand about this, this group of folks, that these Judaizers, is that their intentions are very, very good. Let's put ourselves in their position for a second. This is a group of people that perhaps throughout their life, maybe even some of them were Pharisees. Some, some of these folks that have earnestly been pursuing obedience to the Mosaic law of the Old Testament and the, and the Torah. And they have, been, they have been busting tail their whole lives to make sure that they, that they are doing the right things to get right with God. So they're saying, okay, we like the whole idea of this Jesus thing, but because we've put so much work in, we, we want to hold on to some of the, the work that, that, that we've put in. They're really having a difficult time making, making a change. To kind of put it in, in a context like this, it would be um, this type of scenario. Dare I call it an annoying scenario. You, you have studied so incredibly hard for a test and you're like, I, I want to learn a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to ace this thing and I'm fired up to do it. And you kind of look around, you see some, you see some classmates that, you know, while you're trying to study, they're, you know, bouncing down to the ab to go have lunch with Mike McAvoy on Mike's Ave reviews or whatever. They're headed off to the IMA and they're, you know, watching Sports Center reruns over and over again. So then on the test day, both of you head to class and you get there and the professor says, uh, you know what, um, we're not going to take the test today and in fact, everybody gets an A. Okay? There might be a sense for that person that has studied this sense of injustice. Wait a minute. Everybody gets an A, but I, I busted tail to make this happen. Come on. That's a bit of what, what is going on here. But in, in throwing these add-ons in, perhaps you remember in the text, Paul says, they have perverted the gospel. The Greek word that is used there is the Greek word porneia, which is where we get the word for pornography, which is simply to take this slice, a slice of created reality, something that is real and true, and then we twist it. It's not that we cancel out what is true or even call it false. It's that we take something that is good and is true and then twist it. Isn't that what happens in porn? That, that, that it, takes, it takes sets something that is good 
and makes it something that is, that is totally unreal. It twists it to the point that it is, it is not real. That's, that is what Paul is speaking against here. You've taken this great good news of Jesus and you've twisted it to say it's not just Jesus. It's Jesus and these other things that you've created. But nonetheless, these folks have been entirely pursuing the Mosaic Law. And they are in need of a paradigm shift. But works-based redemption has been their, their MO for so long. And of course, one of the best shots of this, this great works-based redemption in film is played out by our good friends, Harry and Lloyd. So there it is, works-based redemption in the finest form. Redeeming yourself with the right move. I mean, as if Harry and Lloyd weren't enough, then you get some crash test dummies in there. Love it. There's a huge tension here, isn't there? That we're trying to live a faith out every day. But isn't isn't there something that goes along with that? How do we navigate this tension? What do we make of all this? A few reflections before the band comes back up. First is this. Clearly, 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 change is, is difficult. The text shows us that this problem is that this group of people is struggling to change. You see, in the case of circumcision for these Judaizers, that's what they were called, adding the resolution, resolution actually allows them to go on living more, not less, like they always have. The whole idea of Jesus is, quite frankly, just too big a change. It is not Jesus in the right song and dance, Jesus in our own righteousness. It is not Jesus in the cut foreskin of one's penis. It is Christ and Christ alone. Jesus is the big change, the big resolution. How serious are we about change? I know that the idea of change is, is far more appealing and a lot easier than the actual execution of it. In November, the citizens of this country elected Barack Obama president on a platform of change. And everybody on television, anybody that's interviewed that's in the cabinet has said the easy part is over. The idea of change is really easy. The execution of it is profoundly difficult. I would argue that most of us are not all that serious about change. That's why only 60% of us make resolutions and why just short of a quarter of those actually succeed past six weeks. Being serious might look like really struggling to live into that change, mourning the fact that we're going to be missing a, a lifestyle or a sin that we actually really like. If we were serious about change, we would, we would come together with people and struggle over what's the change I make and I need help doing it. If we're serious about change, we're going to ask for help. But being serious about change is hard. Second reflection is this, that legalism is simply easier than grace. Isn't that ironic? 
I think it's one of the great mysteries of Jesus in the Christian faith. One of my favorite ways to talk about grace is to define it as grace is simply getting that which you, you don't deserve. And to sometimes understand this, we have to understand that justice is getting that which you do deserve. And mercy is not getting that which you do deserve. So sometimes to, to put grace, justice, and mercy in together helps us understand those words that can often be kind of elusive or spiritual and, and help, help us understand them a little bit more. But here's why it's so hard to, to accept this gift of grace is that we get addicted to earning it, to doing it ourselves. Here's what I'm getting at. I think one of the reasons that we get addicted to this is because it's easy. It's, it's a way for us to grab on to, say, to something and say, you know what, this is rightfully mine. I've earned this. It's the easiest way to prop ourselves up in front of others, to lookify, look around and justify our reason for studying, for working, for loving, for being. And often it can be totally void of grace. But that's the great gift. And isn't it ironic that one of the biggest critiques of, of the church throughout history, the biggest critique of, 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 any, of any community of faith, is that it can be this rigid set of do's and don'ts. There's hypocrisy and legalism, yet there is something in us that moves us to crave these rules, to crave a measurement for us to know where we stand. A great example from Jesus is the parable of the vineyard workers where Jesus tells of the hiring of folks to work at different times uh, through a 12-hour day. And it comes to a head at the end of that day in Matthew 20. It says this, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard called uh, to his foreman, Call in the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, just an hour ago, and going to the first ones, the ones that were hired 12 hours ago and perhaps before. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work and heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. For the workers, the emphasis is on their work, not the grace and generosity of God. When we initiate living into some of these add-ons, perhaps resolutions of the faith, we begin to change what it's all about and what the emphasis is on. One thing that we can happen if we get to that scenario is that we find ourselves living into this sense of in order to be right or in order to be spiritual, in order to be thought, then I must Dot, 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 fill in the blank. Do you do that for yourself or for others? Are, these, are there these, these rigid requirements? 
We can trick ourselves into thinking when it comes to thinking about faith that God's love is dependent on our hard work for an entire day. When perhaps what the good news is, is I'm calling you. And you're going to get a gift regardless of when you show up because that's grace. When we take the forward, when we when we take the emphasis off of God's generosity, we start moving more towards karma and away from grace. You see, karma is very conditional. It rests on what you do. Now, the idea is, is the idea of, of or philosophy of karma bad? Not necessarily. It can motivate a very positive type of, of pay-it-forward mentality that is not... Uh, that is not inconsistent with the Christian faith. But it focuses on what? Karma focuses on you and your own works with the hope that maybe something will come back around. The emphasis is on you instead of the generosity of God. This is, a, this is what, one of the things that makes the Christian faith unique. The point isn't necessarily that karma is bad, but it is not Jesus. We can get to karma when the add-on, the resolution, takes over as the main thing. Paul's primary concern is not to eliminate people from paying it forward or from being good to each other. His primary concern is to center our faith on the reality and supremacy of Jesus Christ. Anytime we enter this dialogue, and I know that many are there now, there's this confusion of, Ryan, how do I live by faith? And where is the line between, between faith, living by faith and living by works? Where is the line? I want to have faith. That leads to this last reflection that faith, friends, is hard. I know that. I think as I've gotten older, I discover that more and more each year. I find it almost ironic that one of the great uh, critiques of faith, of Christians, is, is those lofty philosophers that say uh, religion, Christianity, is just a crutch for the weak-minded. I think faith is a lot more difficult than constantly finding the way to measure myself and figure out where I stand there. Faith is, is very difficult. As you've heard me say from up here before, I am a tremendously competitive person. I, I do, especially when it comes to things like sports, love ways to measure performance. And I, I can recall as a nine-year-old little, little leaguer, I was curious to know my batting average throughout the season. And I can recall not being mathematically sophisticated enough through my elementary education at that point to know how to calculate a batting average. So I bounced down to the library and picked out a book that taught me how to do it. Well, I then started keeping track of my batting average and, as this nine-year-old little minor leaguer. And, uh, but I didn't just keep track of my own batting average. I kept track of the other guy's batting average, too. <laughs> And if I'm to be really honest, I was, I, somehow the numbers always worked out that my batting average happened to be the best. 
And at the end of that season, I'm sure I was batting around about 600, um, if any of my peers were to ask me. Now, I'm not totally, in fact, I'm pretty positive that that number was not true, but that's what I told them. Even as a nine-year-old, as a little leaguer, I was craving a way to somehow measure my performance. To know that I was playing the game hard didn't seem good enough, even as a kid. Friends, the point of, of, of Little League Baseball is not to be the batting champion. The point of Little League is to learn how to play the game, to learn some sportsmanship, and have a blast doing it. You see, in coming up, in learning how to calculate my batting average and the average of others, I was totally missing the point. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to warn us with in this letter to the Galatians. My intentions there were not necessarily evil. But with the add-on, we missed the point. Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, given these realities, that change is difficult, that legalism is easier than grace, that faith is hard, what do we do? Most of us are struggling to identify that line that I talked about between living in faith and living in works. I want to give you a bit of an assignment tonight to help you know and identify if you are living on the side of faith or living on the side of the add-on. When you go to the place that you live and you sit down at the dining room table and you hear people talking about scores that they got on tests, maybe how much weight they've lost or gained... Are you comparing them? Are you judging them? Are you judging yourself? Are you trying to put things in order? Friends, over the next couple of weeks, I want you to pay attention to how you interact in that way. Because I think there's an opportunity for us here to call that out. To call that out and remember that the grace that is talked about in the person that we are judging, be it somebody else or ourselves, is for us and for them. And that is good news. Pay attention to to what we're doing in comparing ourselves and what that motivates us to towards in, in our works that we might be able to call out and maybe grab onto the reality that we don't have to play that game. That in Jesus' death and resurrection, he has said, you are loved. And there is nothing that you can do that is going to make me love you, accept you, use you, any more or any less than I already am. It is an important exercise for us to recognize how big God's grace is for us and for others. In closing, I simply want to challenge us with Paul's greeting back in verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Are the resolutions that you've made the things that you're working on, helping you to experience the grace and peace of God, or are they filling you with anxiety and weighing you down? Grace and peace. 
As you start 2009, are you able to live, work, study, and rest aware of God's presence in this great gift for you? As you start 2009, be honest. Are you at peace as a loved child of God, or are you at war with yourself? Grace and peace. Friends, it is only found when we make much of Jesus. And that is what we're going to look at over these next few weeks. How, how can we live in a way that makes much of Jesus and, and put our faith in that and allow our works to flow out of a faith? Not in order to earn anything in anybody else's eyes, but to simply, out of gratitude and love for what God is doing in us and in the world. Dick Halverson, former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, used to say that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. My hope for us this quarter is that we might learn to grab on to the grace and peace that is found in Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we want to grab onto that grace all the more. Uh, we get tired from the self-imposed uh, legalism. Lord, yet we, we want to do good works. We want to be fully yours. Lord, we, we do want to do what's right, even when that seems elusive. Lord, help us as we navigate this tension Help us to know that you are God, to know that grace and peace, and that you are large and in charge. Lord, have your way in us, and be enthroned on the praises of your people as we continue to worship in song. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.